Welcome to the Dyad Podcast, produced by Dyad Strategies, the podcast about research, trends, and critical issues in the fraternity and sorority industry. I'm your host, Gentry McCreary. In this episode, we're going to dive deep into some research on one of the most important things that we study at Dyad, sense of belonging. If you've been listening to the podcast, by now you know that at Dyad, we measure sense of belonging through the lens of brotherhood and sisterhood. Both fraternity and sorority members, regardless of the type of group we are talking about, we'll talk about family and home away from home and feeling like people really care about me when you ask them to talk about brotherhood and sisterhood. It's one of the most important aspects of brotherhood and sisterhood. We know this because belonging explains the most overall variance in the brotherhood and sisterhood statistical models. What does that mean, you ask? It's time to ask Josh. Hey, Josh. Hey, Gentry. What can I explain for you now? So I was uh, talking to folks about the fact that belonging explains the most variance in the overall brotherhood and sisterhood models and was hoping you could explain what that means. Okay. Let me start with something that your listeners would probably be a little more familiar with. And so I'll come full circle. A lot of people know what correlation and regression is, right? Like you use correlation to talk about the relationship between two things, right? A and B or two items. You use regression to basically expand correlation into looking at more than two things, right? So it's kind of the relative impact multiple things have on explaining variance. The goal in regression, right, is to explain as much variance as possible in the model. You can never explain 100%. The reason for that is that there's error. People who respond to things have error built into, you know, everything, into their thoughts. So we're never going to get 100%, but the goal is to explain as much as possible. It's also important that the, the variance that you explain is unique. You don't want a bunch of this, a bunch of things explaining the same aspect of the variance, right? So each unique, when you think about a model, when you see a lot of variables that are statistically significant, it's because each of them has a distinct impact that is unique from one another. They might be related, but they're at least they're at least uniquely explaining a portion of this underlying thing. Let me uh, give an example, like uh, a cookie. Right. So uh, imagine this whole concept of sisterhood or brotherhood is a cookie just asking to be eaten or in this case, variance explained. 100 percent of the variance is this whole cookie. If a variable matters, as in does it have a significant impact on explaining variance, it will essentially take a meaningful and significant bite out of the cookie. Each variable takes a very specific sized bite based on how important it is in a very specific place of the cookie. And what that means is that if I come along and I'm variable number one, like belonging, and I take a very large bite out of the cookie, that piece of the cookie is now gone. So other things that I think might matter in the model, like race or sex or classification or, or other concepts, if they are gonna take a small bite and that bite would have came from the same place, it would be not statistically significant because belonging already ate that piece. Good models eat up most of the cookie and unique 
variables take unique bytes out of the cookie. That's the, the graphical way that I will explain that from basically regression. So, so, so brotherhood and sisterhood are a cookie and yes. belonging takes the biggest bite. It does. It takes the biggest bite out of all of them. So the whole point of factor analysis is basically not too different than regression. The difference is, is that in factor analysis, you try to reduce this large set of a bunch of items and concepts into a more parsimonious smaller set, which is where we get these factors or schema. So a bunch of individual items that are very correlated with each other all cluster around this one concept, in this case, belonging. So they're all highly related with belonging and less so related with the other schema. They distinctly form this notion or factor uh, of belonging and collectively they take a bite. In this case, they take the biggest bite. So one can look at variance explained in a factor analysis and say, well, I know I'm never gonna get 100, more is better. And the factor that explains the most variance is obviously the most impactful factor. So those items collectively are taking the biggest bite out of the cookie. So belonging is the most important aspect of brotherhood and sisterhood in that it takes the biggest bite out of the cookie. Yes. It explains the biggest piece of brotherhood and sisterhood. Yes. All four of the schema take unique bites and big enough bites to matter, but by far the biggest bite and the most important where most people will agree and disagree, right? Where you get the, the greatest sense of difference in people's uh, attitudes, which is how this whole thing works. X-factor analysis, regression, all this stuff breaks down if everybody strongly agrees to everything in the world. That's why things like straight lining and pattern effect are bad. You need people to answer how they truly feel. And different people think differently about everything, right? I mean, go back to when you asked the initial question, what is brotherhood? whole lot of different thoughts and opinions out there but there's commonality and that's what we're trying to grab is where is there the commonality and when we think about commonality where is there the most agreement and kind of common uh, understanding around and that's where we get to brotherhood uh, so all the scheme of brotherhood and sisterhood are related to each other yes. but not too much they're unique they're different they're correlated with each other but they're not too correlated with each other that they're all measuring exactly the same thing. That's right. That's they're measuring right. unique aspects of the one bigger thing. Yes. Brotherhood, and, sisterhood, these things that are called constructs, they cannot be directly measured. All we can do is write items that we think reflect them and those items cluster together to come up with a dimension, a concept. So a big, a big thought like what is brotherhood is a multi-dimensional thing. It's not as simple as one straightforward answer. It's um, a lot of things that are related to each other and belonging is the most related to all the other things when you look at their relationship. Is that what you're saying? That's right. It's really the, it really undergirds all of it. Right. If, in terms of common variance, which is what's happening here, the variance that all four or five of the factors or schema explain, that's what we're really looking at is that common piece, which is the which is which is which schema explains the most of that. The answer is belonging. Therefore, you could argue it is the crux of it all. Right. And the rest so of them in a are, group where belonging was really high, chances are other things would be high. And in a group where belonging is low, chances are other things would be low. Yes, absolutely. Because belonging is positively correlated with all of the other schema. Awesome.
Thanks, Josh. You got it, buddy. So there you have it. Belonging is important. The rest of brotherhood and sisterhood really depend on it. Belonging is also really important because of the other things that we know it is connected to. For example, belonging is the biggest driver of commitment. It's the biggest driver of satisfaction with the fraternity and sorority experience. It's one of the biggest drivers of retention. It matters a lot. We're also beginning to learn a lot about what drives sense of belonging in fraternity and sorority chapters, which is one of the topics we'll be covering at our next Dyad Research Roundtable. So be on the lookout for that conversation. In the meantime, today we'll be talking with another researcher who has studied sense of belonging within the fraternity and sorority community, Dr. Crystal Garcia. At the time of our conversation, Dr. Garcia was an assistant professor in the Department of Educational Foundations, Leadership, and Technology at Auburn University, but has since transitioned to a similar role at the University of Nebraska. Her doctoral dissertation examined the role of Latinx fraternities and sororities in creating a sense of belonging, and her article, Belonging in a Predominantly White Institution, the Role of Membership in Latino and Latina Fraternities and Sororities, was published in the Journal of Diversity in Higher Education. She is the preeminent scholar on the role that Latinx fraternities and sororities play in creating a sense of belonging, and I'm thrilled to welcome her to the podcast today. Crystal, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to, to talk to you. Uh, I've been an admirer of your work for a while and, and reading your work particularly around sense of belonging with uh, Latino-based uh, organizations. And so wanted to chat with you a little bit about that. Uh, our research really gets into to sense of belonging a lot and so interested to just compare notes and, and, and see what folks can learn from the, the work that you're doing. So, so your work really examines sense of belonging specifically among Latinx fraternity and sorority members. Uh, before we get into the specifics of your research, just talk to me a little bit about why you were interested in studying the concept of belonging specifically. Yeah, well, I think if we look at predominantly white institutions in particular and the research around those institutions and climates for racial diversity, we know that those campus climates can oftentimes be hostile. Um, to people of color in particular. And so I really wanted to explore the role of culturally based fraternities and sororities in connecting students to a sense of belonging um, within what can often be hostile spaces. And how do you define sense of belonging? What What does that word mean to you when you think about it? Yeah, so I really refer back to a lot of Strayhorn's work whenever I think about sense of belonging. Uh, but I do think about an individual sense of connectedness, um, sense of importance and meaning within a space. Um, and so, you know, the extent to which an, indivis- an individual feels visible and not only visible, but important and valued uh, within a particular context. Yeah, that that notion of mattering, right? Like that. These are these are people who care about me. I matter to them. It's it's a place where I really feel connected. Our research, and we've been studying belonging now for for several years. And, and when you look at belonging within the context of all the other things that we've studied, uh, our research suggests suggests that it's one of the most important, if not the most important, predictor of a number of positive outcomes uh, associated with fraternity and sorority experience. Uh, for example, it predicts commitment, it predicts organizational identification, it predicts overall satisfaction, 
longitudinally, it's a big driver of retention within organizations. Uh, just to name a few, we've obviously studied this quantitatively. You're more of a qualitative researcher. In the work that you've done, what have you seen belonging connected to within the fraternity and sorority experience especially? Yeah, I definitely think that all of those things emerge within conversations with participants. Um, but in addition, also thinking about leadership development, for, for instance, um, and particularly whenever we think about culturally based sororities and fraternities, these organizations often tend to be a lot smaller. And so oftentimes participants find themselves, you know, maybe in their very first semester as being inactive within their organization, and they're already taking on huge leadership roles uh, within, you know, their sorority or their fraternity. And within those spaces, again, kind of connecting back to that sense of mattering that you discussed earlier, you know, having them feel that their voice matters and that their effort matters because a lot more relies on them, right, within that context. Um, and so that's definitely something that comes up, as well as thinking about the role of sense of belonging in the fraternities and sororities in their transition to the institution. Mm -hmm. A lot of participants talk about the sense of familia or family, right? So thinking about these bonds that they form within the organization that are stronger than just other typical organizations, right? So, you know, you might be a part of a, a Latinx student organization that you, you just go in, you check in for meetings, might go to one event each semester, but sororities and fraternities have such a strong bond um, that they really form this sense of siblinghood, right, within those organizations that supports them academically, yes, and very importantly academically, but also just as people, right, so supporting their well-being, supporting their mental health as they're transitioning into, again, spaces that aren't always made for them. And, and when you when you think about all the students you've worked with, I'm curious, and I want to dive into the particulars of what belonging looks like within uh, Hispanics and Latinx organizations. What would be the difference from being in a Latina sorority versus just being involved in the Hispanic Cultural Center, right? And the sense of belonging that actually being in the sorority provides beyond just finding that group of similar people to connect with? What, what does that look like from, from, from your vantage point? Yeah, well, I mean, similar to um, historically white organizations, like those within Pan-Atlantic organizations or IFC councils, right, that uh, these organizations also carry a lot of the similar traditions and cultural staples that other fraternal organizations do. So, you know, having symbols and signs and rituals and secrets and um, these are all things that we know connect people in a totally different way. Um, and then also not only the notion of being in a chapter within a particular campus, but then also being connected to this broader network of individuals across the country. Um, a lot of our participants talk about that often, you know, connecting with others at national conferences, or even if they travel to another state and reach out to some sisters or some brothers that might be um, within that state that will host them, right, just because they're part of this organization. And mm -hmm. so there's just this bigger strand of being part of something that's larger than themselves mm -hmm. that they have explicitly talked about not getting uh, within other typical student organizations. 
Yeah, the overlap between belonging and, and one of the other aspects of particularly sisterhood that we study, although I suspect in culturally based groups, it shows up in, in, with, with men's group as well, is that notion of common purpose and, and wrapped within this broader context of brotherhood and sisterhood that I can belong and I can feel like I matter on campus. I can feel like I have a group of people to eat lunch with or hang out with on the weekends, but there's a deeper sense of belonging and connection that goes along with brotherhood and sisterhood and having that common purpose and that sense of solidarity and, and all of those traditions and rituals that you talk about. So it's almost like belonging on steroids. <laughs> you've, got, you've got a sense of belonging that just gets blown up by the, the deeper, more meaningful engagement that comes with being in a, in a fraternity or sorority. Would, would, would you say that's fair? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, and we have to think also of the historical context of culturally based sororities and fraternities in general, right? So these organizations emerged from discriminatory practices from other fraternities and sororities. And so a major theme within these organizations broadly is thinking about racial uplift, right? And so if you think about that even as like an underlying theme of a lot of these groups, that certainly speaks to um, a huge thing that ties together um, the bonds a little bit more. That, that's, that's a fascinating point. And I wonder, we, we don't have a large enough sample size of, of Latinx fraternity and sorority members to do this. I don't think, but it would be interesting to do a separate um, factor analysis of our brotherhood and sisterhood model and look and see if the uh, correlation between belonging and common purpose in the, in the overall model is stronger in Latinx groups because of that cultural nature of it. And, and, and you, I, I was reading your research in this area the other day as I was preparing for our conversation, you found in your research uh, into belonging, studying Latina sororities, that being part of a group of women who are Latina is part of what drives that sense of belonging. So, so specifically the cultural element is, is part of what, it's not, it's not the only thing and maybe not even the most important thing, but it's certainly part of the element of connection. Whereas in our study of predominantly white Panhellenic sororities, the cultural element doesn't really come up. And I don't, I don't think that means that it's necessarily not there, but it's mm -hmm. not, it's not articulated. When you talk about well, what does belonging look like, it's I feel like I matter. I feel like I feel like I have a purpose. I feel connected to similar people, uh, but similar in terms of values and interests. The, the, the racial cultural dynamic doesn't really come up. And I think that's probably one of the reasons that we tend to see belonging be higher in uh, Latina sororities in particular because of the, the cultural element that's there that just adds a, a whole different layer. Yeah. Um, regardless of the, the, the type of group, um, belonging is a fundamental part of this experience, but, but research suggests that it's particularly important among culturally based groups at PWIs. And that's, that's been one of the areas of, of focus of your research. Talk to us about the role specifically that you see cultural, culturally based fraternities and sororities play in providing and creating that sense of belonging for students of color at predominantly white institutions? 
Yeah. So, I mean, just kind of stemming from what you were just discussing, right? Thinking about these organizations as a space that affirms individuals' racial or ethnic identities is huge. Um, For some of the participants that I've had discussions with, you know, this might be one of the first spaces where they've actually had that communicated to them directly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas growing up, um, oftentimes individuals hear um, messages in reverse, right, that um, kind of shame them or belittle them for being um, being from groups outside of white heritage, right? So for our Latinx individuals in particular, uh, within my dissertation, for example, this was really happening around the time of um, the Trump election. And so a lot of messaging was coming up particularly around Mexican-Americans as being rapists or, you know, other awful, horrible things. And so, you know, that was also being mirrored within their high school context at that time. And so then coming into a college context where they're joining an organization that's saying, hey, it's not only okay that you're a Latinx, it's actually an amazing thing and we should celebrate that. Um, That was huge for these individuals. And so being part of these organizations and having something that can not only serve to affirm that part of who they are, but also to celebrate it um, is a really important aspect of these groups. For sure. And, and connected to that, and, and, and we've seen this in our research, as we go in and do a campus project and we survey you know, all the fraternities or all the sororities, generally the sense of belonging is higher in terms of the actual, you know, the, the way they measure on the scale in terms of the sisterhood or brotherhood based on belonging. Is, is almost higher among culturally based groups than historically white groups, especially uh, Latina and Latinx groups, even after you control for chapter size. And you mentioned that a, a little while ago, that certainly these groups being smaller contributes to that feeling of I matter. Uh, I have an important role to play. The, the, the chapter needs me. I'm, I'm an important figure here. I'm not just a number. You think about, you know, those 200 person plus Panhellenic sororities where it's easy to just kind of blend in and be a number. But even after you control for chapter size, the the sense of belonging tends to be higher with with Latinx groups. Uh, Why do you think that is? Is it the cultural element or do you think there's just other unique uh, aspects of that experience beyond smaller chapters and beyond the cultural experience that, that promotes that deeper sense of connection? Yeah, well, I mean, I definitely would, obviously, this is kind of speculation, I can't know for sure. Um, But I definitely would think that because of the fact that oftentimes, these are potentially the only places where these individuals are finding a sense of community. Um, Unlike white students within predominantly white institutions, you know, every space is a space of belonging for them. And so these organizations tend to mean so much more, because that might be the only or one of few spaces where they are seeing others that share identities with them and where their identities are not only present, but also celebrated, right? And one of my participants um, stated this, shared this quote, and it was just so pressing to me at that moment. I just thought like how impactful that was, that it's just kind of stayed with me. Um, But he said, it's a privilege to feel like you belong everywhere and you know that you can go anywhere and see people who look similar to you. And so I think that 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 really 
basically speaks to that notion of where students are finding community and how difficult that might be for students of color, particularly within PWIs. And so, yeah, that really just kind of emphasizes the importance of these groups. And, and connected to that, and again, I'll ask you to speculate. We love speculation here because in the light of empirical evidence, sometimes that's all we can do. And this is something that while we do know a good bit, we're really only starting to scratch the surface. We occasionally, you know, you go in and there's, you know, there's five Latinx groups on the campus and four of them, their belonging is just through the roof, right? You know, 4.5 on a five point scale compared to maybe the rest of the groups that are around a 4.1, 4.2. But then occasionally you see these outliers with really low scores, right? The, the, these groups where it's way lower than even the, the IFC or, or Panhellenic groups. Uh, and we've not been able to do yet an in-depth qualitative analysis of, of any of those chapters, but based on your research, what do you think might be going on in those groups in those Latino Latino fraternities and sororities where there's not a sense of belonging? There's not that meaningful connection. Did you come across any chapters like that in your research and what, what do you think might be going on there? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think that that's a really interesting point and it kind of goes back to this notion of thinking about these organizations as being perfect. Um, they do serve important roles and they do connect students to others that are like them. They do affirm individuals' racial and ethnic identities in particular ways. Um, but I think that um, oftentimes we don't always problematize ways that other minoritized identities that individuals might hold aren't centered in those organizations. And so my colleague Antonio Duran and I have um, started to really kind of dig into this dynamic by examining the experiences of queer people of color within culturally based FSL organizations broadly. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of that work that we've started has really shown that individuals often find that yes, that these organizations are really affirming in all of the ways that would be expected that we've discussed so far, but perhaps not in terms of their sexuality or perhaps not in terms of their gender performance if they don't meet um, the standards that are set forth within the organization. So if we have an organization, for example, a sorority where uh, we have these hyper, you know, the activity, right? So you need to come to chapter dressed in a dress with heels and um, have your makeup on and you need to present yourself in a certain way, but individuals don't perform their gender in that way, then they can still feel disconnected from that organization. Yeah. Likewise, if we see heteronormativity as emphasized, then someone that is queer might also find that they don't fit into this space. And so those are some areas that we're digging into. We do have an article that just came out um, in the Journal of Diversity and Higher Ed, that's kind of like the first stem of this research. Um, and so we hope to be digging a little bit more into that and sharing more of that work as the year goes on. All right, we're going to take a quick break for a commercial, and we will be right back with more of our conversation with Crystal Garcia. People in the fraternity and sorority industry really love to talk about being data-driven, but what does that really mean? Being data-driven means you are focused on specific metrics. You're aligning resources to move the needle related to those specific metrics 
and you're gathering data to help measure your progress as you go. Helping fraternity and sorority professionals at the campus level become more data-driven is what we do best at Dyad Strategies. And while we do that work in a number of ways, our most impactful work is through our data-driven external reviews. When you partner with Dyad for an external review, you're getting a lot more than someone going down a checklist and checking boxes and giving out boilerplate advice on how to support your fraternity and sorority community. We dig deep into the culture of your fraternity and sorority community and provide you with a roadmap for addressing critical cultural issues. Our external reviews begin with a campus assessment. The data from this assessment will illuminate critical areas of concern like social culture, hazing, and relationships within the community. From there, we send a team of reviewers to campus to conduct an in-depth qualitative review that is informed by that quantitative assessment. We have specific questions for each campus based on the issues highlighted in the quantitative assessment. In a series of meetings with students, advisors, and other stakeholders, we're able to paint a clear picture of the issues in the community. And the recommendations that we provide are grounded in a multi-institutional perspective. Members of our team have done this work with dozens of campuses, ranging from small private schools with local fraternity and sorority communities, to state universities with massive fraternity and sorority communities. We aren't looking at your problems through a narrow lens of what we do on our campus. Our lens is much broader. And because of this, the quality of the solutions that we provide is much higher than your typical external review. At the end of the process, campuses get a report of findings that includes both the quantitative and qualitative data, a series of prioritized recommendations that are uniquely tailored to each campus, and an assessment plan to help you measure the impact of the work that you do going forward. For more information about the work that we do at Dyad Strategies to help campuses be more data-driven, visit us online at www.dyadstrategies.com. And now back to more of our conversation with Dr. Crystal Garcia. It's, it's fascinating. You think about, I mean, a, a small chapter, say, you know, 12 members in a, in a culturally based group, and maybe nine of them feel a, they're great, right? Everything's wonderful and they love it. But in a small group, only three or four people who really don't feel connected, who don't feel like their identities are, are welcomed and valued there, and who don't feel like they belong, that could really change the score and maybe so that's what we're seeing and maybe I need to go back and look at the standard deviations on some of those groups and maybe it's that yeah maybe most people are fine but you've got a few people that are really weighing that down because they don't feel really welcomed and supported based on on who they are it, it, there's I think a lot of in-depth digging that we could do to really help explain some of those numbers that's fascinating mm -hmm. as you look at the future and and you know we know that the the Latinx Population is the fastest growing population on college campuses in the United States. Uh, as that population continues to increase, do you see the role of culturally based groups uh, changing? Do, do we see changes when if these groups grow or if there are more chapters or as uh, more options and opportunities are out there for students who are from Latinx backgrounds to get involved in other things on campus. Uh, how do you see the role of these groups changing in the future as, as this population continues to grow? 
Yeah, well, I definitely don't necessarily see them changing in terms of their roles in racial and ethnic identity uplift. I see that as continuing to be an important um, part of these organizations. However, in kind of going back to the previous question, I think that these organizations are going to increasingly need to be attentive to um, their membership in terms of other identities that they hold. Um, thinking about, for example, how do we make sense of our rules uh, around transgender membership, right? And what does that look like in going forward and supporting transgender Latinx students, right? Um, and then also thinking about not only the organizations and their roles, but then the community, the FSL communities broadly, and how perhaps they need to be doing a little bit of adjusting to more effectively support these organizations on campus. So, you know, educating fraternity and sorority life communities broadly about the purpose of culturally based sororities and fraternities. Um, you know, I was a member of a Panhellenic sorority. I was even awarded Greek Woman of the Year whenever I was an undergrad. But I didn't even know that culturally based. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'll take my cheers now. Um, but, you know, I'm saying that to say that I was highly engaged in my fraternity and sorority life community, but I didn't even know that culturally based organizations existed. And they did on my campus. And I didn't understand why and I didn't know the purpose of them. Right. And so I think that we need to be doing a better job of educating all of our students about all of our fraternity and sorority life communities. Um, and also to think about ways that our fraternity and sorority life professionals are prepared to work with these organizations because they are different and they do require nuanced skills and expertise. Um, and so I definitely think that we need to be considering their unique needs and moving forward in the future. Um, as a plug also, um, along with Dr. Duran, we're working on an edited book that specifically focuses on culturally based fraternities and sororities and how practitioners can attend to their particular needs um, over the next year. So look for that in the future as well. We love shameless plugs on the podcast. <laughs> Uh, if you could give, we have a lot of practitioners who, who listen to the podcast. If you could give them some advice, a little, a little preview of the book, what are some things that you see folks who are doing this work kind of mess up or, or really not understand about what they need to be doing to, to support these groups? Yeah, I think that all of that really should start with having conversations with the students that are part of those groups. And I don't mean only meet with the president of the three groups that you might have on campus, right? Like go to their membership. They're, they're typically quite small compared to others. If you do find that you have a lot of individuals on your campus, then maybe you can negotiate that. But particularly for those that have, you know, small chapters and they can actually make the time to go to a chapter meeting, you would be amazed at how far that would go in the eyes of the members and showing that the institution and that the fraternity and sorority life office is there to support them. Um, because oftentimes, unfortunately, as well in my research, I found that students in culturally based sororities and fraternities broadly don't feel supported by their institutions and don't feel supported by their fraternity and sorority life offices. Of course, there's exceptions to that. Um, but having the opportunity to just have a conversation with someone, right? And say, what do you need from us? What are some areas that you feel you're doing well in and what do you need help from us in doing better? I think is definitely the first step, right? 
Awesome. I, you know, and as I think about that, and, and, and particularly as I think about the, the previous question, as we think about the growth of these groups, as I was preparing for our conversation, it struck me that, um, and, and again, anecdotal, but, you know, based on my qualitative work, you know, going in and facilitating workshops, you know, having conversations with chapters that have participated in our research, it, to me, the, the multicultural groups, particularly the Latinx fraternities and sororities, there's so much more altruistic in terms of kind of why they're there, right? Just the whole experience, it's, it's less about partying and the social aspect, and, and you don't see some of the negative cultural issues that we see in some NPHC organizations in terms of, of, of kind of some really negative solidarity uh, hazing that shows up in those groups, um, that, that there, and, and not to say that there's not problematic social cultures or problematic hazing going on in, in, in Latino or Latino groups, but we tend to see less of it. And, and we see that show up in the data as well. I, I guess I wonder if as those chapters grow and there's less opportunities for, you know, members to have those meaningful leadership experiences as groups go from a dozen members to 20 members to 30 members to 40 members, does that dynamic change at all, right? That you've got your engaged core who continues to be really altruistic, but then you've got all these others who are just kind of there and looking for ways to engage. Um, that's just an interesting kind of thought experiment for me to think about how just changing chapter size over the next 10, 15 years could really impact some of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a fascinating thought. I mean, I would think that since we we know that um, particularly within HBCUs, for example, NPHC organizations can be huge, right? Yeah. Just just as much as what we see with predominantly white um, fraternities and sororities on PWIs or at PWIs. And so I'd imagine that similarly um, that these other culturally based sororities and fraternities could you know, scale and and figure out what that looks like. Um, it might take some of the nuance of these kind of like smaller family tight dynamics that they're experiencing. But I definitely don't think that we should be shy um, to try to expand these organizations in that fear, right? Um, so maybe FSL uh, professionals want to just do some more temperature checks, right, of their communities yeah. to see um, as they grow what that looks like and how they can better um, keep them connected even as they grow larger. Dr. Crystal Garcia, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I think Crystal's research is really shining a light in an important area, the critical role that culturally based fraternities and sororities play in creating a sense of belonging, particularly at predominantly white institutions. Our conversation really has me thinking about the need for us to apply some of the mixed methods approaches to understanding what matters the most in terms of creating a sense of belonging in culturally based organizations. At this point, I think we have enough chapter level quantitative data in our dyad data set to be able to identify those culturally based chapters with both an incredibly high and an incredibly low sense of belonging. Once those chapters are identified, we can go in, examine them qualitatively in order to understand the differences between those two types of chapters. This type of sequential explanatory design has yielded some of the most illuminating findings in all of our research, and we'd love to expand that research 
to include these culturally based groups. So if you're a qualitative researcher or an aspiring researcher interested in studying belonging in Latinx groups, I hope you'll reach out and get in touch with us because we'd love to partner with you. You've been listening to the Dyad Podcast, a production of Dyad Strategies. Brittany Todd is our production assistant. Our theme music is composed by Magnus Moon. For more information about Dyad Strategies, visit us online at www.dyadstrategies.com. Mm-hmm.